Welcome to this episode of the... What are we talking? Um, I don't know. We were trying to decide a, a name before before new. It's actually been a long time. There's a couple of uh, small reasons that I guess we could talk about there. I completely forgot how long it's been uh, yeah. since we did one of these. But yes, we, the name's up in the air. That was the last. That was the latest news. Uh, I know the know name what... of, uh, of the people that are here. This is Richard Park, my colleague. Yes, that's Adam me. Adam Botsevsky. Yep. Hi. And... Um, this is a this is a show where we talk about uh, APL and notation as a tool of thought. Yeah, um, and that's what the show podcast. Except we also release videos, so now it's just a show. Um, <laughs> that's what that's what the show is about. We can be called... podcast can be video as well. Well, it, it, that makes sense because there's a good number of podcasts that are that have both. They're on YouTube and they're on. Um, but yeah, it's called APL Notation as a Tool of Thought, which, while uh, fairly descriptive and definitely unique and probably easier to Google than some um, array language names, uh, is a little bit little bit clumsy, I guess. I don't know. I kind of like the jank, but I can understand for like being able to remember uh, marketing purposes why people might not think is the best name. So, fine. Fine. So we decided we did. Uh, I think Adam, you just basically did this on your Twitter. Yeah. Uh, a couple of straw polls. Straw polls. A couple of polls. Yep. Um, did two polls? Why did why I forgot? We did two polls because because then there was another suggestion. Oh, we had to add that. And every in. time you get a suggestion, you got to do another to poll. Start, an, start over. So what was the I top? Can... What was the top? Can you are you able to share the? Uh, yeah, I can. I can share that. The results. Um. Because I don't, I don't even know how many people replied. It can't have been that many. Yeah, sure. Let's do, let's do this. So, so let's see. the The original one, you can find that. Um, That's the original one. Yeah, we had suggestions as well. Well, that was the the original one. Eliminated keeping the name just APL annotation as a tool of thought, and then oh, okay. And then we instead of that, we added in the new suggestion, which was. Um, uh, what was the new one? Livcast? Or was that just APLcast? That was, there was kind of yeah, extra yeah, yeah, should be APLcast. And then, and then that won by a large majority. It's got absolute majority. Um, however, uh, cast, podcast, it. when it, people usually associate that with, uh, with video, you're right, and we can't get a good no domain name for that. <laughs> Essentially, where we've come to with yeah. this, we were looking for a domain to do like APLcast. We could do exactly. APLcast.org or whatever, yeah. but that it, but then we found. But yeah, but so, so the idea is that that uh, since we did this poll on, on Twitter anyway, we're going to follow the trends of <laughs> uh, former richest man in the world, now chief twit. Chief twit. Uh, Elon Musk of making such polls and finding out what the world wants and then doing whatever we want instead. It's actually a bad idea, but let's. Uh... <laughs> Why did you just roll with that here? We should be we should call it APL casting, but um... we'll call it the APL show. Yeah, and the URL for our site when we get that up and running will be just APL show. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so now that's out of the way. Thank you for voting. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't care about what you voted for. No, we did care. We very much cared. We just um, didn't follow it. That's all. Yeah. So um, I'm still even sure that's the best idea, but I'm, I'm, it's funnier to roll with it, and we don't so, get to keep the uh, the other name, which I think is more fun. Well, we so, still call it APL show notation as a tool of thought, right? Yeah, yeah. We've got the, the tagline and. Uh, yeah, let's talk about notations uh, in yep. the context of thinking and other stuff. So um, I think the last episode, like I said, it was a long time ago. There was a Christmas period. I got pretty ill. And then Adam had some really good news uh, in the new year, which has been taking up a lot, a lot of his time. Well, I had um, a baby. That's what you Yes, mean. yeah, yeah. So 
Uh, I'm using I'm using that as an excuse, even though it's not really the only uh, it's not really the reason we haven't done one in so long. But it's nice. So congratulations, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. Might have been. every every podcast you're on. This is get uh, this is getting mentioned. <laughs> All two of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, but in the previous in the previous one we had talked about we were talking about uh, functional forms, and then we shown would sort of talked about that in the context of like early um early versions of iverson notation slash apl especially the the one that's quite easy to find and, and relatively famous is the uh apl 360 cpu description right because it's the nice it's got things that still are in apl oh, no, no, you're talking about the ibm 360 the IBM 360, that's right, sorry. It had APL 360 on it, and I was called APL 360 Eventually, because it was yeah. on... So, yeah, so the chronology is Iverson's <laughs> no, Iverson worked at IBM. Iverson yeah. had developed his special mathematical notation that didn't really have a name. Iverson yep. notation is what we call it uh, today. Um, yep. And uh, it was then used to describe the IBM 360 and to, to help with the design of the IBM 360 yeah. system that IBM was betting everything on that it would take over computing, which it did. Yeah. And and every every computer system today is in principle a descendant of the IBM 360. And all other competing technologies just went out the door. That's it. Just in what sense is that? What's the uh well the whole architect the distinct the, architecture that makes here's that... just one thing. It was the IBM 360 that introduced the eight bit byte. Well okay. Did not know that. That was revolutionary. It changed everything. <laughs> <laughs> to be no, fair, yeah, it is arbitrary, isn't it? Like, how yeah, many, there, if are, you, there if, were systems if you, before that used other. Yeah, if you've, if you've ever done like hobbyist electronics, you get those memory chips, and they've got like, uh, you know, some address space, and yeah. in principle, you're using that many bits. It's not. I guess it's you still call a byte eight bits because that's the convention that clearly come comes from this. But I mean. Um, they're called octets in French, I think. All right, but yeah, you can have a, a two four bits is a nibble, isn't it? And then I yeah. guess um, two bits is just like anyway. But the whole the whole the architecture of that of having the disk space and working memory and and thirty two bits and all and all the stuff that uh, it's yeah, I guess it's so universal. You don't even think what's, yeah, we well, don't think about that's it. what I'm really curious about is like what's the alternative. You could do anything. There were, I think, there were Soviet computers that used base three rather than base two in the electronics. Right? Mm. The electronics themselves are running at at two different voltage levels with usually like five volts difference in between them for zeros and ones. Everybody yeah. knows the computers just do zeros and ones, but in reality, they do zeros and fives, or yes. more probably more like ones and six or something like but that. But it's it's obviously having a like diodes and other little binary yeah, but you switches. Can, you can do ternary. And there were decimal computers where everything was stored in here in in decimal in the lowest level rather than in binary. So like um, a voltage between no and no, something. but it could you could store it in binary, but you're storing decimal digits. Huh? You can you can encode every decimal digit oh. in binary or in ternary or whatever you want to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. But all the computations are done on them in using decimal math, not mm. binary math. But I guess we just take out that out, uh, probably just simpler and cheaper in the end, is it? Yeah, and you get weird floating point errors. No, I mean to have <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, literally floating. Uh, yes, because the voltage. Anyway, not going. We're not an electronics. No, podcast. that's that's that other <laughs> podcast. That ex- whatever that's called. Damn, we should be called APL. Keep referring to ourselves as a podcast. <laughs> um. So, so the IBM 360 was revolutionary, and yes. obviously, as APLers, we will attribute all of that <laughs> success to the fact that it was designed, uh, designed using in, in... Iverson's notation. Yes, right. not really anything else. And not then these other <laughs> features that we're currently talking about. No, it was the it was the original description, the way it was described in the notation, that is the key to its success. And then it went full, full girdle. You know, incompleteness stuff. A system can <laughs> describe itself uh-huh. by then having people taking Iverson's notation and implementing it 
on of on all the things machine. the IBM 360 mm. that has been designed with that same thing. Yes. So, Except um, they couldn't quite. Well, well uh, they, and they, I think we talked they, about this, right? Like the linearization and the... yeah, they they couldn't quite. I don't know if they could have, but it wasn't practical. Once it became more than uh, a description that's intended only for human consumption, right? There yes. never was any system that could execute Iverson notation. Yeah, and Iverson notation even contains uh, well tacit stuff if you want. It 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 has things you can omit based on context. Right. Okay. Um, so you don't have to specify the length of something if it's going to be paired up with something else that has a length, because obviously it has to have the length that matches, things like that. Um, and I mean, it's very, in that sense, it inherited from traditional mathematical notation, right? That that also relies on the goodwill of the reader to get the correct understanding mm. of certain phrases and, and notation. Um, so they linearized it, they formalized it, um, and that was APL. That's that's APL as we know it, and today's APL are basically just extensions of that, and mostly preserving backwards compatibility, other than very few yes. details. But the original Iverson notation was this very much like flowchart typey thing. Yeah, so we were talking about the 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 structure of programs rather than the, I guess expression of algorithms using the notation is maybe what you'd call writing an APL expression or Iverson notation expression. One line, it might have several pieces to it, but it kind of describes one transformation of arguments into a result. But eventually you want to put together a bunch of those and then the, the conventional, obviously there's more ideas now, the conventional sort of analogy of that is maybe like a recipe or something else where you've got like one step and the next step now there's with um functional programming e ideas becoming more prevalent i guess there's other stuff i guess it's still it's still steps it's just the way you write them is less of this like a flow chart uh and more like like what's the border between uh the function composition and just writing those because it's like depends how explicit you want to write it. Yeah, I mean, function think composition. About, think about over, for example, whatever. Because because yeah. you could write that explicitly in like four lines, three. Is it do this one, then do the other one? You've stored those both in. Um, well, yeah, you could store both, but you could also just yeah. As long whatever, as you, you have write the, it lots of ways. the operand, the the preprocessing operand has a name, then yeah. So so the note so. Well, I mean, that's kind of an interesting aspect, right? Because in that case, and especially, I mean, uh, over's a nice one as a, as an example. It's the symbol, but this is a through line of all APL. The symbol subordinates the detail that otherwise you would be writing out in this longer format, right? Which is very useful when you are trying to use that uh, in several, in lots of different contexts or um, applying it in different places. But is there a big it's difference then between function composition, if you want, which you can build an entire application just from that. Yeah. And say a piping that you've got. Some programming languages have this pipe mm -hmm. operator thing where you take the result of some one expression, you feed it into another expression. You can either be with some kind of placeholder symbol saying the value from the previous expression goes in here, or it takes the first slot available. Um, you got piping in on a, on a command line, operating system command line. Um, so the only difference uh, is the kind of, uh, I guess, the notation of how um, a function process name, a function name is written, usually it's like one bit of text with no spaces in it, and the arguments that are passed to them. Which obviously one pretty distinct, distinct yeah. yeah, distinguishing factor of APL against other or Algol style ones is not doing the like open paren comma separated list of things. That's... We have this infix thing that is useful, or it's very nice to use when you're like playing with the language. But the funny thing is that mm, I don't know if most because it's hard to count programming languages, but the common programming languages uh, will have what they call functions, which are these name, open paren, some. Uh, mm -hmm. Some arguments and some languages 
allow you to omit those parentheses and just yeah. write the function name. Um, but they usually also have, other than Lisps uh, and and Polish notation, reverse Polish notation, they have infix what they call operators. Oh yes, and true. But I, I think everybody it... recognizes the notational nicety of the infix notation. Yeah, I think I was trying to describe. I was just talking about APL with a friend who's not doesn't really know anything about APL, but he's you know he's a programmer. And he was like, "Oh, there's too many symbols. You know, maybe you can have like a few symbols." And I think he meant I didn't get clarity on it. We we weren't really talking about that. Um, you know, I think he meant those operators, the common ones, the the plus, the star. Uh, and then sometimes you get ampersand, two ampersands, two vertical bars for all. You know, they're, they're sort of, that's become a common uh, nomenclature between these different, even if the languages are quite different in a lot of other ways, they'll have like plus will be, means plus in basically all the programming languages is like a, the cross like that. Um, so. And minus means minus. So it's funny, you know, is there really a limit to what people are willing to accept as like um, introducing a new common set of symbols or whatever? I probably, it depends on who you ask, almost definitely. So I don't know about that. I was sort of, <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, yeah. To bring it to bring it back to like the we'll talk about the notation used. I'm actually going to go off. Unless you've got something specific uh, linked to this, I was going to go off and maybe hopefully come back with, you know, we're talking about um, function, how you express the structure of a, a program that might consist of multiple expressions. Uh, and I sort of had alluded to, um, I think back in, in the last episode, uh, the idea of node-based programming, but actually before talking about that, um, I was thinking about notations that are used in different domains anyway, because like you say, the Iverson notation, there wasn't a machine that did that. It's principally always been expressing ideas to other humans, it just happened to be about data processing, which is something that computers do. But um, you know, ultimately when you talk about good notations, it's like, what is good for? A person to use to express their ideas and now in the marketplace of ideas the <laughs> the the um the best one doesn't need to win right or okay that's that's a very loaded statement we you might wonder why if you know if iverson had this uh rationalized mathematical notation like why is that not and it is better for or it's definitely uh, nicer for describing certain types of things. Right, there, there are two parts of it, right? There's a low level, the actual expression on on what you're doing on the data, and there, yeah. then, and they linearize that. What linearized means, uh, no superscript and subscripts, uh, basically. Yeah, and like they, like how and, text is written on a screen. It's one character after another. Actually, that's not as true well, anymore. Like, typesetting. Yeah. <laughs> how it's written on a typewriter. Let's say like that. And even there, it's not entirely. Yeah, right. even there, it's not really. True. I just thought about because LaTeX and stuff. I mean, that's an interesting thing. You can write mathematical expressions in in LaTeX, but does anyone have a thing that just executes mathematical expressions written like that? In LaTeX? Yeah, there were some, some graphing calculators you had in high school that where you could enter expressions in, not in LaTeX, but in some kind of graphical yeah. thing with moving up around. And, and Wolfram Alpha, the, the public facing thing. Oh, of, there you it, can... it, they, they recently added that feature as well. You can enter. You'll bet you could easily type it. Yeah, Wolfram Alpha. And, the, and then translating yeah. to, it might not be obvious what you mean if you actually type it in LaTeX because. Um, because it's symbol-based, not meaning-based. So let's say you're using vertical bars. What right. exactly do you mean by that? It can yeah, mean various yeah. things. It's yeah. just a notation for the symbol, right? You can use a middle dot. You can also use the, the cross-type multiplication sign. It's not always clear exactly what do you mean or an over bar over a character. Yeah, right? yes. Um, so, so I don't think you can necessarily ex execute that without deciding what do things mean and mm -hmm. you might also need to decide on some order precedence order 
because it's yes, not clear yeah. as well. You can also make ambiguous stuff in traditional mathematics. But I want to go a little bit saying sure. the one is the linearization of that of the expressions themselves. But then if we take the step up and you look at the flowchart type things. So mm-hmm. decision trees, you could say that so there's a pure decision tree like you're looking at some flower you want to know its name so you you look at all these aspects of it yes no yes no or or how many and then you right. spread out to, to each one of those five branches okay. um and then you arrive at a name at the end or a couple of names at the end that it could be yep or for mushrooms or for solving some problem or when you call into some help line and you have some mindless person What's answering your the phone yeah exactly and then well, they no, just, no they don't just... ask you a query they ask you questions yes yeah exactly does it yes. hurt when i poke this yes or for the athletic the uk nhs uh helpline okay yeah right so because you, you call in you tell them your problem and then they start asking you questions which you have already answered by you explaining what the problem is but they didn't actually listen. Now they're listening and to the answer to specific questions and they're going through a chart, which you can also mm-hmm. find online, making that line helpline on the phone a little bit useless. Um not for people who like phone calls, I guess. <laughs> yes. Um but the idea here is the importance that we put in these flow charts. And I'm not sure if it's so obvious the the progression. So it's common independently of programming language. So you make some high-level flowchart on how you want your application to work or your system to work. It could be a machine. Or you describe it all kinds of systems. What's the the one that comes up a lot that's always in a circle? Krebs cycle in biology, right? Oh, yeah, right? sure. It's also a flowchart a flow type thing. Yeah, it doesn't... Those no one kind writes of that linearized, you know? No one's... Right, but, well... You I mean, could. you could... <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, but um, but that's a process. So we're talking about process. But that's a well. that's a process that never has branch points. But that doesn't that doesn't matter that and much then, either and way. Then, and we're talking the... about the uh, like notation for when people write down processes, they often go to flow charts, but those sorts of diagrams to... of arrows and blocks and stuff. I want go to on. point out that there are these two orthogonal parts of it. Right when you're talking about the Krebs cycle or other cycle, biological cycles like that, there are no branch points. There's only processing. This chemical oh, okay. becomes this chemical. Yeah, yeah. And then there place. are non-processing things like the like the helpline for determining which illness you have or whether you should go see a doctor, where there's no you're not processing any data. You only there's only uh, branch points, right, right, questions all the time, and the combination of that is what programming is. It's it's the flow with data processing. If you have a program that's entirely just if statements, it's not very it's going to be very interesting. It can't really do any work. And if it's completely linear with no decision yes. taken at all, then yeah, it's a processor, but it's hardly even a program. Right? It's just a data processor machine. Now, if you imagine this flowchart, mm-hmm. these boxes, and the boxes, then you have compute nodes added to that. So you have these boxes saying, you know, do this, do that, do that, and then you just you, and there's sometimes you see flowcharts like that, where there's only one way in and one way out. That's a compute yeah. node. That's where you do something. Yeah. Now stand up and t- tap your belly. Yeah. Feel a, sh- a searing pain. Right? <laughs> right. So there is actually something um, there. If there's one output that's like yes or no to searing pain. Or... Yeah. Or th- or which level of pain are you experiencing? Zero for no pain, ten for full pain, and then you have like branch points. Whatever. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the anyway. problem with that kind of notation, maybe idea that would be an ideal way, and and then we'll we'll go back. Maybe you want to share your screen on something with the yeah. node-based programming. Yeah. But if you are typing in the tradition, our computers are really developments of typewriters the, of typewriters, right? Yes. And you and they tend to be very linear. Yes, you yes. can like move the paper up and down and make raised and exponents and things, but it's awkward. Normally, yeah. you just type if you don't. If you don't you want to go, you've got two right. axes. You want to go left yeah. to well, in you know, for English or at least you want left to go to sideways right. and up down. It's sideways options. and then and then up down. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're writing, do Japanese typewriters type start by doing a column? They probably they probably do go. I haven't actually looked this up, but um, top right down and then scroll and back then and then one and then yeah, one so to the left. I think mechanically there should be no issue with typing that way. Um, no, exactly. Anyway, just, uh, so, so, but the problem is if you are if you restrict yourself to that kind of human interface and mechanical interface, yes. then boxes with little shapes and arrows in between them are going to is be really, really yeah. difficult to type. It's going to be, I mean, you can do it, but it's very <laughs> awkward. So if you look at, at Ivers annotation, maybe I'll, I'll share my screen again. Mm-hmm. It's an image that we keep showing here over and over again. 
okay. we should have other examples than just that one. Um, <laughs> so so this you and you can look this up under it's under. Um, this why this why we keep uh, referring to it because it's yeah, always just there. I have a sonnetation page on on the AP Wiki. So it's easy. It's actually cropped from a bigger page. Yeah. Um, but if you then imagine every line in that is a node in um in a flowchart. Yeah. And and then you have these little lines coming out various places. Uh, the good examples are at the top. Um and coming in. And then mm -hmm. you have lines that don't have any nodes, uh, any connections out and in. So if every line is is a node and the ones that don't have any arrows, I'm sorry, are just the ones that have one way in and one way out. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, so you take all these different boxes from your page and you stack them on top of each other. And it's not really very important which order you you stack them because you can always just branch around. But you want to do them preferably in an order that makes for the least amount of branching around. So you just have a linear flow. So then you have it. Then you keep going until you have one of those with a little arrow on it. And then that's a, that's a decision point. Yeah. If the condition holds, then... You follow the arrow to another box. Yes, that's it. Is really just a linearized flowchart, but not linearized in the way the APL became one line. Linearized yeah. as in one column of yes. lines yes. of code, and then the next step. So he also has numbered lines. Yeah. Um, and the next step is then remove those graphical arrows. Instead, you introduce a little arrow symbol, which he already actually has, but when there are many lines and there would be a mess to draw them all. Mm. So there's an example here where it says, uh, go to, so right arrow, and then a vector, 12, 14, 13, 17, 19, and then yeah. subscript, that is indexing, uh, yeah. with the N2, which I think is then the second element of N. Of N, which is assigned That's, This is why it gets awkward above. when you when it's not linearized, because you've got a subscript on a subscript. So you use N2 uh, to decide which line you're going to go to next. Right? Um, and that's really that's really what a traditional APL function looks like. Back in the old days when they didn't have control structures, they would just do these branches. And the little red arrow is really the original big bendy arrow going places, just formalized and linearized to be that. Yeah. So you can and say an APL traditional APL function is a flowchart. Yes. Uh, but go to is considered harmful, some people have said. Um, and there are other ways to structure things. <laughs> Well, so it's funny because, um, you know, there's, yeah, there were two sort of um, things that made me think of this. One I'd like to explore, but again, it's like half an idea in my head, which is a lot of domains have notations that are actually just diagrams. They aren't like a linearized thing. I think I mentioned to you before we started this, but uh, I thought of like chemical formulas. Um, which you can write as like a linearized, you know, H2O-C6, H12O6. That becomes uh, ambiguous if you linearize it without superscript subscripting. No, okay, sorry. Yeah, but that's but that's close, right? You can, And you can write really long ones. But actually, you know, before long, I think you go into 2D diagrams with, um, you know, lines between the, the, the describe the bonds. And then I guess you go into those 3D modeling programs as well, even more so. But if um, I remember right, there is a there is a linear notation form for. Uh, oh, for formula, there's one that, where there's not even super things. subscript scripts. Yes. But anyway, so that was one simple. You can keep looking that up if you find it. We can uh, you can show that. But so that's one one very simple example. Obviously, physics and other things have loads. All kinds of domains have loads of different types of diagrams for describing different things, and some of them are actually used. Uh, along the steps to solve problems. Some of them less so, they're more like just for descriptions. Um, but then the other thing, and maybe if I find something interesting, we can talk about that another time, but the one that I, um, I thought of before, I think I was looking about um, node-based uh, editors, right? So that's video editing, but it turns out, and as we've seen here, it's not even that new an idea. If you think about this as like a sort of flow chart anyway, conceptually, um, and people have tried it in all kinds of, of places. So, so video editors where, um, that's because you have a or special, if especially well, is, it, is it for a scene or a clip where you say, I'm going to do this, this 
modification of the image. It's like usually effects. It it's usually applying effects. It's also 3D modeling has this as well, where you might have uh, one node that might even be made of nodes within it that describes textures. That's an example that I can, that I think I can find, um, that I can show. Oh, I don't know if I've not got. I think I linked to you. There was a Reddit thread. It was titled. Um, Node-based programming doesn't scale well, but it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really an honest. You can see it in the comments. It wasn't node-based programming doesn't scale well. It's, 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 to it's just as possible to spaghettify your uh, whatever you guess you call it code. It is code at the end of the day. It's just as possible to spaghettify your code when you have a, a node, you know, one of these like blocks with arrows go going between them as it is to, to spaghettify your code in any other uh, more conventional like language framework right if you just keep nesting conditions and branching here there and everywhere the, the structure of your code becomes now and impossible to that's exactly it yeah um you know you can see this looks ridiculous but if you scroll down someone's pasted an example where they've done something that's a little bit more sensible looking uh you have to click on the post or something. Oh yes, you have to click comments on the on the post. I didn't realize you weren't on it. It says nine, nine comments. Um, and then I had a quick Google. There's another thing that I found called what's that called? Nodes.io. That's like um, written in JavaScript. I don't. Why don't I find it? I remember seeing this somewhere. Um, oh well. Yeah, it doesn't. It's really not important. You know, the point is, obviously, what you do is you do a certain level of of um, composing different property, uh, different related sections together, uh, and forming some structure that's more nested, right? So then you're abstracting away some parts of it where if you laid everything out, it would become like, you know, well, that thing we saw before. Yeah. Um, so, and just like we saw, with, this was quite interesting about what you mentioned in the, the Iverson example is that he had to do this. <laughs> Um, this sort of workaround for if there was going to be too many lines, it was going to look ridiculous. Yeah, and part of part of both, no matter which version of flow control you end up using, part of the uh, the challenge of it, the skill that takes actually quite a lot of time to develop, and people still don't. People are competent, very competent, excellent programmers still don't really get this like sort of what you call perfect because you've got to. At the end of the day, you got to get a job done, um, and that's to design or refine your your solution so that you don't have crisscrossing lines everywhere. You don't have insane, ugly, nested uh, conditional statements that are very difficult to follow, very difficult to tell at a glance what is going on, where am I supposed to look when something's gone wrong, and things like this. Um, so, you know, at first it can be appealing to see to see node-based things and think that looks... I think it's definitely more accessible to cer certain types of people, uh, people who don't want to write literal lines of code, especially, right? Like, that's why the video editing uh, example and a lot of the VFX um, programs have this. There's also, you know, scientific domain ones, um, Simulink, which is from math, uh, MathWorks, the MATLAB people, is a, is a thing for ostensibly yeah building simulations but that uses like a, a flow chart interface for, for programming and another one called lab view which i think is in a similar domain um so there are lots of these tools i'll be interested to talk to someone who, who uses them properly i suspect it is pretty much what i said though like when you're first doing it you're sort of trying you're learning stuff um sometimes you just got to get a thing done and you can end up with some really messy you know, like when you write your first programs, <laughs> right? You you end up with just like this. No, no. In the very first programs, then you write them carefully. It's once you get you, you get <laughs> old and tired, and you just want to get the work done, you start writing spaghetti code, or you come back to some old system and you need to add some feature or fix an issue, and you add more spaghetti to it. I mean, this to me feels like the uh, well, I, I mean, software in my mind is still a fairly, it's pretty wild west still, you know, with like people making languages and frameworks left, right and center, you know, there's, 
Yeah. Software engineering practices kind of come out. There was the thing in the 2000s where it was like OOP everywhere. And now it's like, oh, but functions are kind of cool. And now it's like, and we're like, yeah, but sometimes you just want an expression, don't you? You just want to just like say what you mean. Um, and throughout all of that, the like, the, the problem of architecting your, th your software at different levels has not really been that uh, solved. I think it's definitely interesting to look at notations that aren't computer interfaces, although so, obviously so that's what we're targeting towards. Smiles. Simplified. So right, the fact that there's, you say this one, you found a, a page that lists different uh, um, chemical no, no. formula notations? No, no, no. no. It's but, one form, formula notation. No, no, no. I mean, this, you said that there's this one, simplified molecular input line entry system. Yeah. Presumably that means there are other systems that have been developed or, or formats. Oh, for molecular for... input? I don't yeah. know. Um, no, but I think the traditional thing is you in, you write that formula you learned in school with yes, superscripts right. and subscripts and stuff and parentheses. Problem is that's not very... Oh, you couldn't type that on the typewriter. Right? Whereas yeah. this, you can, you can type and uh, you, you can type these formulas because yeah, it's all I just see. ASCII strings. Yeah. Um, so and look, and look what they've done to make it clear, right? They've put the diagram above it. Because, well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think. It smells a little bit like on the Arraycast talking about the, you know, tacit. Are there people who read that linearized thing and are like, boom, that's, I know. I guess you can recognize chemicals if they're not too long. You'll probably also learn to recognize groups, right? Mm, you might, true. if you study enough uh, chemistry, chemistry, you soon yes. learn to recognize an OH group. Yeah, know, yes. And yeah. so on. And and I suppose as you become more familiar with this, especially if you work with this notation, you start reading entire chunks <laughs> as that. Like, you, can, you might as well start asking, are there people who, who can read uh, different from... A partitioned enclosed right tech as one thing. Well, uh, kind of, uh, kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yes. What, what about <laughs> like... what about quote space quote open paren different from partitioned enclosed <laughs> right tech close paren x. Yeah. So when you say it in those words, it sounds cumbersome. But when you look at it as a as a notation, you just read it great. as a whole thing. Just read it. Yeah. You just read partition or split on spaces. And or... human languages are like this. As I well. don't even say it in my head, to be honest. Right, you just read that as a whole thing. Oh, okay, yeah. splitting on spaces and average and and yeah. and so on and and uh, or inserting something between the first element and the rest of the elements. Something like if you got uh, a one open paren take comma x comma drop close mm. paren y. Right, you probably read that as well as just insert something between the first element and the remaining elements. We should ask Carter about because I know we have like Feynman diagrams. Some processes like a problematic in that they just explode into the whole maths the, no the whole process of like of particle physics is just figuring out which um which decay paths are so unlikely that you can ignore them and i wonder if that becomes well i guess that's how they simplify it right you just you calculate the probability you just eliminate a bunch it's trying to simplify things down right notation to make them manageable for a person. Um, because most concepts, when fully, actually everything, when fully, <laughs> when they're fully, or fully uh, described, becomes unmanageable. Because you yeah, just and, and uh, when you Yeah, and when you looked at that, that um, node based things, this one and, yeah. and, uh, the one that people were criticizing, although there's, I don't have a higher resolution version of this. No, it doesn't. Um, it, it's firstly, a of, it it's isn't a actually of... as bad as as you might. At first, you look like, oh wow, that's terrible. But it's pretty legible, especially if you can zoom in on this and and see the lines distinct from each other. Well, no, it, I mean, to me, you can also see what would be the one one obvious way that you might approach this is like it's like a cable tidying problem you've got a bunch of cables going from one box into another box and yeah. instead of just letting them like just plugging one then the other until you've got this like tangled mess you'd probably have a think and then deliberately plug in the right ones in the right order to make something that's a bit more legible you can optimize it like that yeah but but 
if you look at all these small boxes as one line of code or something, or a couple of lines of code, and then mm. these are all the go-tos in between them, and there might be one main line. So then you take all the main the main flow through, and you stack up all, all of those, and then the rest of them you use these go-to arrows. Mm. I, it doesn't seem I, much harder. Than, I also wonder you know? about the limit between... Because um... here you... So... so uh... In like a, if you're doing a programming environment, well, this is a programming environment that then it's really what you can have is the box, but you click on the box and it brings you a text editor, and then you write the, <laughs> and then you write the yeah. text code that's that thing, and then you abstract it away into this box, and then you're connecting bits of the box together, whatever. I don't so know if that that's really might be nice, is. like like in the APL environment where development environment that we work with, um, then you can you can shift enter or double click or uh, on a that's name. That's right. We abstract it to a name. Yeah. And it's up and, in another. So then, then you can lines. see the name as a kind of pointer that you're going to call that. The only the difference here is that you don't the flow doesn't progress to something else. You always maintain a call stack going back. And there is a question which would be interesting to address about I think we're still working it out in and it, people do it differently in different contexts. At what level do you want to abstract, or what level do you want to be able to observe ah, so the raw I, code, I, right? I'm like sure that in this node-based thing, uh, there there is a, some rectangle around part of the diagram that's not explained. This is way too small for us to even see what's going on. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's probably possible to uh, to take such a box and abstract it away in... No, it's like grouping. You can see it's, it's kind of nice. I All think, the yeah, connections I, I are think... coming in from one side and then there's one connection going on the other. You mm. make that into its own box and then you can open that up. And yeah, then that's exactly. kind of similar to that. And then you can also ask, well, at what level should I abstract things away in their own box? Yeah. You can write every every computer system as a single function uh, <laughs> with a, a gazillion lines of and, and there's just go-tos everywhere back and forth, never calling anything else. Oh, it's just one line of code. Well, yours one line of code <laughs> in the languages that allow that. I'm not sure you can do that in Python, though. No, no, sorry. I meant, I meant after you've, oh. after you've put it inside the name, you yeah. go, my function says, this is what happens, right? In, uh, this oh, is that's what's what kind of mean. interesting yeah. about APL in, in contrast to some is, is they'll go like, oh, here's three lines of Python. But of course, it's like three lines of function calls that underneath is a whole bunch of stuff. Whereas for some sometimes you don't always do this. No one clarify. But sometimes what you can do is you go, here's three lines of APL and that is the raw. Yeah. So uh, where are all the libraries? There aren't any. <laughs> now, of course you can argue the implementation is um is a library, but then every programming language is a is a library that you're using implicitly. Well exactly how far do you go? And until I'm seeing the bits the the, the Yeah. Even the assembler is, is way nicer thing, but it Builds on having an assembler exactly, that can right. that can uh, convert it to to the binary code. And if you are not old school, then you probably don't want to uh, to program in directly in bits, flicking <laughs> flicking little switches on and off. What does it mean to be a to be raw? Yeah, my language. father did this at at IBM. You'd use hole punchers and you just you punch mm. those bits out. That's what you do, and then you come with the stack. That's of, real programming. All this real programmers don't use Notepad. Real programmers <laughs> use punch cards. Yeah, and then you and then you 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 take the whole stack of punch cards and you put them into the punch card feeder on the computer, and it just it just munches its way through them. And then things go bad, and it can't continue. Then you go and you look at the register. People and don't. Says, uh, you know, cool. But, I can conclude is people don't want to write programs. No, you don't want to write like that. Only I, crazy people want to write programs. No, anything, no, any code. Uh, only crazy <laughs> people want to stay with the current level of abstraction, right? In, and, and you can have you know too much abstraction and so on, but you do want to subordinate detail. This was one of uh, of Iverson's requirements for a good notation, in in notation as a tool of of thought. Right? And you want to abstract away into up to the point where because you still need to be able to modify things usefully for your domain, right? You need to be able to change the behavior uh, and and plug things together. And, and take the blocks and, and join them and compose them in different ways in a way that's useful to to what you're well, trying depends, to achieve, right? right? It depends. If you if abstract you... too much, then you have to now take everything apart before you can. Un play unless with you it. develop, you de you're delivering an end product. Right? Some some things don't need 
any more programming. I, let's Well, say, yes, I, yeah, okay, let's yeah. say I, I, I recently inherited. Well, my mother didn't die, but I got, I got a robot vacuum cleaner from my mother that she has that she got from my sister, Oh, cool. um, and uh, and so it's pretty old by now and doesn't do anything sophisticated. It's not a smart device as far as I know. I wouldn't let those Yeah, in my in it's my just home got a anyway. simple, is it like a go left, Yeah, hit something a wall? like that. Uh, if you can't go left anymore, It it try it does going it's right. it goes almost in a straight It's like a line. basic I don't know. maze. Yeah, I don't know if it's a, if it's intentional or not that it Like goes a flip in a slight no, in not a slight a flip curve trail. to 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 mix things up a bit. So it goes Oh, in this is giant it? in a giant curve. I guess if it was purely scanning, if it was in an inconvenient place, it would be Yeah, it in gets an inconvenient stuck. place for a while, Well, yeah, so and that's it should annoying randomize, to walk around. but it, it doesn't seem like it randomized. So it goes Okay. in this giant curve, slightly slight curve, and then it hits <laughs> a wall which yeah. it detects just by it has like in the front of it has a one giant button. Like the whole front of the of the robot is Oh, just it literally one. just bumps in gently Yeah, so that and that thing hits gets the button. gets depressed by hitting Uh-huh. stuff. <laughs> And Don't then we all? Okay. <laughs> yeah, Uh. everybody gets depressed when they hit a wall, right? Um so and then and then it turns slightly to one side. <laughs> yeah. Um and then it tries again and if it immediately bumps it has some kind of timer or something if it immediately bumps again then it makes The a way full you're describing it, it sounds like you wish you had a programming interface to this robot oh, vacuum. we could come <laughs> up with a better algorithm for that if you uh so so if it immediately bumps into something else it makes a full 90 degree turn at least something like that and then it keeps going again so so there's some kind of timeout if it if it hits something twice in a row then it um and it keeps doing doing this that's it that's the whole logic Go straight, if, as straight as it goes. Hit something, make a slight turn. If you hit, then keep going again. Or if it hits something and it hits something again, it makes a ninety degree turn and then turns again. And then it keeps like it. It gets stuck underneath chairs all the time because it hits one leg, then turns a little bit, hits that same leg again, makes a ninety degree turn, heads straight for the other leg of the chair, and then and then goes to the third leg and fourth leg and it keeps going in circles like that. So so it can it also makes a lot of noise. So if you can hear that. This dunk dunk and then dunk 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 Mm. <laughs> you with know, with ah, even intervals. It's like oh, the robot, the robot slave uh, is stuck Timmy, under, uh, <laughs> under the chair again. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and the bumper is a little bit raised on the floor, so sometimes it will get stuck on top of something. It's really really stupid. It doesn't Mm. tell Yes. my my phone anything because it can't speak with anybody or anything. It can, the only Yeah. thing it can say is beep when it's full. Um. So so that's. So there, let's say, so somebody, somebody uh, implemented this kind of logic inside it, where it goes Yes. through this very, very small diagram of stuff. Yeah. Right? And eventually, you could say you abstracted that to that big circular black thing Thing with wheels with on with it. Yeah. with a with a light on it and a and a and a speaker, and that's it, right? I'm, nobody's going in there to change anything anymore, and that's the right level of abstraction. It's got an on-off button. That's it. Yeah. Um, but it's still a kind of a programmed thing. You've already And said I think. how that's... Oh, have you seen that video game console that came out? It's like this big and it's designed for hobbyists to write games on little programmers. It's like surprisingly expensive for how big it is and how low power it is. I'll have to find the name of that. It's like the size of what? The Game Boy thing? Uh, smaller, smaller. Okay. Like smaller than a Game Boy, but it is. It's so it's meant to be very pocket handheld. It's brand new, but it's very retro. It's like just got. I think it might be like monochrome. Like just. I don't think it even has a backlight. Like they've they've gone for this is a toy for like people to tinker around programming it, not a um you know thing to sell polished. Uh, I mean, I think you can sell games for it, but. You know, that's not really the market, as it were. Um, no i haven't actually we should have a link to that whatever whatever that is but what i'm saying is here is that the abstraction all the way out to our black a, box a box with with a a button one button on it is the appropriate is enough one. right that we don't i don't want the more insight into its decision i can i can deduce what the code underneath looks like uh who knows maybe it's actually running a full linux or something to make those that Uh, it's few gonna be decisions a it's gonna be a one an of integrated them microcontrollers circuit thing that yeah you program an assembly little pick Um, thing. yeah, It'd be expensive or in, to put anything more probably sophisticated not even assembly. It's on there. probably written one of those like very log or something, whatever. So that's cheap. Oh yes, true. Yeah, whatever. Um, so, um, so I don't think you can make a one rule and say you know 
abstract everything away is bad. You also don't want to go all the way down, right? I wouldn't want to to interact with the actual circuitry inside that. Yeah, it's, it's for your audience as well, right? Because the person can who's almost... writing, uh, yeah, writing the software has a customer who doesn't want to know. That that vacuum cleaner is so stupid that it might as well be they want to take electromechanic. The... It didn't even need to be electronic, I think, because <laughs> like you could literally have little wheels. Well, here's you inside. describing. I'm sure they exist. Uh, programmable to an extent. Programmable vacuums. vacuum cleaners. Yeah, I should look that up. That'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's. But it's for it's for an audience who's like got that, you know. But can it run Doom? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, of course someone's going to try that. Who's got that desire, right? They're like, I would happily buy this thing if I knew that I could Im- I can improve it, right? Or I can customize it. Or I don't want to do that. I just wanted to clean my floor. <laughs> I don't want to tinker with it. And and so so and the same thing here, right? We, I don't want to tinker with the innards of the computer, and I personally don't want to tinker with memory management. Yeah, right. That's for me is boring. That's not part of the job I need to do. That's just an internal in the in the work that I need to get done, mm-hmm. but not part of the actual work. Um, and so too for the programming language has to have the right level of abstraction, uh, but it also has to have a human interface that is approachable. Um, so the node-based or not, or whether you see a linear program, like a traditional APL program, as node-based or not, you can look at it that way. How should you structure your programs? How big should your functions be before they call each other? I would say you should structure them appropriately. <laughs> yeah. Useful. Yeah. yeah, that should be your rule of thumb. Is this appropriate? <laughs> Ask yourself. And is this right? Mm, lovely we, non non actionable advice. Yeah. This this code I'm writing now <laughs> nom, nom, is, love it. is going to be maintained by a violent psychopath that lo- knows where I live. Right. Yes. But I still want it to look like this. <laughs> that violent psychopath is me three months from now. And I will <laughs> act violently on myself when I see what's happened here. <laughs> That's, that's <laughs> Unfortunately, it's often actually other people that have to maintain your code. So be, true, be nice, it? right? You want to do it in a level. It's a touchy-feely thing. It really is. You want to express yourself in a way that is clear enough, but not detailed to the point where you drown. The overall picture drowns in the detail. Yeah. You want you you want an overall level view, but you don't want to make it an impenetrable shell, like the vacuum cleaner. If you want, if it needs to be customized, you can't have it in such a way that it's all locked down. You can't get to things, or it takes an unreasonable amount of digging to get to where things are actually happening, because everything is just abstractions and some abstractions at infinitum. Mm -hmm. Um, So, what would it would an ideal development environment look like? One that knows human nature and like tells you what touchy feely level you should keep. It's not going to be one thing, is it? For but I might want one that. Shoe, is it? it I might want that to be able to say to to my APL environment, say you know, give me an explodey look of my programs. And yeah, and in the like the conference edition, we're already you know there's a um, a chance to go a bit deeper than you can right now. But that takes you to a lower level, in, inspecting what's happening at the primitive level, one by one. But I'm talking about the higher level type thing. I have this function. This is my. This is my top level function, main, if you want to call it that. Yes, yeah. And then, or run. And then it calls a bunch of other functions. It calls a bunch of other functions. Now, we do have utilities, actually part of the APL language itself, that tells makes a cross-reference and tells you what are all the identifiers that are being used. And then you can look up what are which ones of those that are functions and operators that are defined. And then, uh, so you can make you can make a whole analysis of the calling structure. But uh, but for editing purposes, I might want to bring up all those windows, which I can also fairly easily. Can you write an APL expression that will bring up all the? Um, I'll bring up an editor things. window for yeah. each of the names referenced. But it might be function. nice as well to have that. Is that part thing. of the language? Is that not like a, a user command or something? It's part of the language that lets you see which names are called by this function. Yeah. Like I understand listing names. That are declared within a namespace, but I don't recall. You want me to show is. you? Yes, yeah. Okay. What is the thing that lets me, given a function name, I think is what you're describing, 
um, what are the functions that it calls? Yeah. Okay. And you said language, which obviously is like uh, also contentious. What does that mean? A quad thingy. It's a quad thing, obviously. Okay. Not, is not, it not quad ATX? Is it? No. It's older than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is ancient. Okay, so let's. Are we going to define the function? Yeah. You want to tell me what to type or? Uh, food. This is this is my main. It doesn't function, need. So. Yeah, we don't need anything else because it's not going to call. And then. Okay, it, so it's calling boo. It calls boo and it calls goo. So we we're getting an an a. Uh, a local variable here called for, for boo and then sure. we well maybe we should have a result as well uh then let's, let's call it oh, we could so in here. theory you could just write this as del foo new line boo new line goo new line yeah, yeah. del but, but i guess sure, you're trying to make it slightly more interesting by having things Google. actually happen inside i was mainly you know i assumed it would do we'd do the minimal like repro <laughs> okay but okay we've done a bit more so and we've got we, a function uh, that returns the result r it's called foo it's got one local variable x which is the result of of calling running boo. calling boo which is a function that takes no arguments just like a script i guess a result it could actually script. be a global variable as well you can't really tell um anyway, but, oh quad refs yeah quad refs foo uh-huh and there you go oh and it's not just uh, so then what, do you quad NC on each of those? Yeah, so then, well, now we can ask... If you want the, to know what the types are. What are the name class of these? And you can do write tack comma... Oh, no, and, quad NC comma quad refs in a, in a train, and you can get the type and the... Oh, yeah, if you wanted, wanted to do that. Types so and can, the names as a table. Uh, yeah, just that, right? So now we can see that goo isn't actually defined. Boo isn't defined. Uh, and foo exists <laughs> as a function. Okay, but we can we can go now, on we can, to find boo. Well, we can just do it. Do boo. it even doesn't matter. Yeah, like that. Uh huh. And then boom. Now we have that. Right? And it's a function. That's and then plus three. Cool. Yeah. And we can All define. Right, yeah, no, I just literally wanted to know what that was. So that's that's cool. Quad refs. And then goo. Say goo is goo is a variable like that. Yep. So now we we can say that goo is two. Goo is two. And then X is still it. zero because they don't exist. Yeah. Which means probably they're local. Right? Yeah. Or they're defined inside, right? If you have a tradfin where the body of the tradfin has a defin definition, presumably it's not going to know that. No, no, that's what I'm saying. It's local. I mean, it might assign a local and a global, which we can't really know what it's going to do. But yeah, at this yeah. point, it doesn't have. If you run it once, it'll be defined, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you run it, and then you can you can look at that. So then you've got a cross reference like this, and then you can fairly easily recurse this and say, okay, anything that's three or four, you look into the do a quad refs on those mm. as well, right? And then we can build up a whole calling tree. So yes, but anyway, to get back to you, what, what, you what I wanted to do like is is I would like to then open explode up, foo. Yeah. into a visual into a some kind of diagram or something that's like well let, let's say let's either say now, explorable or it's easier to see at a glance which is kind okay, of what you're so, supposed so, to so do we do the name classes of each of those and then we can filter them um by that right so oh what just happened? they replicated based on the uh, name class want, yeah. wanted, zero not equals that, yeah sorry yeah it's all okay right. and now we can edit those right can, yeah. I do, can I do a quad edit on a matrix? Oh, that worked. It actually opened up three <laughs> editors on a different screen here. There you go. Wow, this <laughs> thing about dialogue APLs. If you can dream it, here um, it is. So so it opened up these on the on my other monitor. Now, of course, this isn't exactly what we're talking about because we haven't got the... The connections are still based ah, on, so on the text. So that's the part that's missing. It would be nice then if uh, if I would have some arrows. right? And box if this that was says foo and it's got now two ports... Or two little little nubbins on the side of the foo box that describe boo and yeah. Or well, I don't know. actually, no, it doesn't make any. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, could, it, could, it could have a little line. It's an input that, that or... points over here, but it would quickly become a nightmare, right? Well, the that's the other thing is this is not the this function is not amenable to this very much, is it? Because really, you want ones that all take arguments and return results, and then it's easy to know what the Little nubbins should be the outputs of the. Uh, but they might they might be mutually recursive as well. So is there it's good? Not, it's not necessarily a tree. Because the nodes presumably don't do this. Presumably the node 
based thing. Actually, we should find out. I, I mean, that's the other thing. I wanted to mention it because I'd seen it and it looks cool and kind of interesting in this context of like, how do you structure a program? Um, which is, I, I think we've, we've got loads of videos and talks and we've talked, you know, in, in various public fora a lot about solving problems as in writing, even your, um, uh, APL quest, right, is like solving problems as in here's how to write an expression that solves this specific task that's usually quite data processing y. But there's a lot, and it turns out it's in part, I guess, because it's so uh, varied, ambiguous, not well defined. It's, it's a, it's a touchy feely thing is like, how do I structure my program? How do I make it good? Uh, and nice to use in the future, nicely expressing what I mean to other people. And so I don't hate myself when I read it three months later. Um, that's why I, I sort of was talking about the node thing, but I definitely should look into it more to see how do they, how would, how does the node based programming deal with recursion and, um, maybe like here calling functions where you're not just passing arguments and returning results, but like side effects and things like that. Or are they just sort of hidden under the rug and it's it's sort of known you shouldn't do that because your diagram won't accurately describe what your thing is, in which yeah. case it's not a very good uh, node-based thing. But you know. so, so there's this user command that's xrefs. So you can see that So we have these two things that are defined, boo and foo, in the namespace. So this is higher level than just on a function. The whole oh, so all IDs is just a list of everything that's declared in the currents, in the, the namespace you gave... Yeah, because you did bracket, right bracket xref space octothorpe the hashtag symbol hash, and then we just hash. It's the root, hash. root name space. Oh, that's right. So yeah. So it says okay, this root name space has two functions, foo and boo. Yeah. And um and then you can see that um so th these are this is a function call foo calls boo oh. and and it uses the global the uh, global name goo, goo and the global r and global x and boo uses this uh, w, uh, omega, which I don't remember what this O means exactly, um, but it doesn't really matter. Um, we can look at the help part, but it's not important. No. The, 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 but the thing is, okay, so I've got these, these things that can give me a report, a textual report. I can even open up windows editing these, but maybe a visual thing where I could like adjust the knobs to see how much granularity do I want, how many, how many levels out, mm. um, giving me a picture of that uh, maybe a, a quick report button that tells me oh what are all i can it's easy for me to see what are all the functions that i call from this function but i want yeah. to make a change in this functions api if you want uh can i do that safely or not does anybody rely on the left argument or whatever um and and i would like to know what are all the places that call this one Mm. Yeah, that's something I would, might want. That, um, so I guess that comes for free in the node-based thing because you just look at what are all the arrows all going the lines to come and where into coming this from. one, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but they don't have that here, and that might be something that would be nice to have. Yeah, it's like um, so. That's a question of refactoring, isn't it? And like making it easy and nice. And the compiler pe the compiled language people say you make your change and then you like you keep going until the compiler errors stop. <laughs> you know, that's that's how they do it literally. It's like <laughs> Or at least the one uh, video the guy who made the the that game was like a puzzle game, I can't remember. Uh but he has like some programming live streams because he like coded it all by himself. He's one of those guys or something and he's got strong opinions about uh programming. Um, but yeah, he says, yeah, you just make the change and then you, <laughs> you keep on fixing, fixing it until the compiler errors stop. And then a you, little and, bit dangerous. And then you know that your code, no, well, you've designed it in such a way using all the type safety and that, that you know oh, it works. Yeah. Like but in a dynamic language, that might not be the way to go. No, I mean, that's one, people, um, that's one thing people say. Or at least then fun. you have to have complete QAs that test everything. Right, that's another. That's what test test driven development is. <laughs> you make the change and then you keep changing it until your tests work. Uh, tests pass. <laughs> it's dangerous though because you have to be confident that your tests are complete. I think yeah. all of these have the same. Well, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know. It'd be interesting to see if what you could do to find this out more objectively is, at the end of the day, you're having to exercise some discipline. To you have to actually put in the effort. <laughs> to yeah. to make something that works, um, 
you know, you can be quite, it's easy, well, very tempting a lot of the time to be nice and lazy and just sort of get the bit that does the case that you're looking at and it sort of works and then hope that <laughs> hope that the edge case is never never rear their yeah, and if you're a modern tech company you just ship it that's it that the users gotta ship it no first to market early yeah. to market is worth about a thousand times more actually probably the fact is insanely bigger than best thing yeah i think it's gotta be um anyway right, we should leave it I at that i think so yeah it's interesting it's not resolved and so we don't have any specific advice for you but i guess that's not what this this show is about anyway it's about just exploring ideas i uh, hope you enjoyed notation. listening to it mm -hmm. so we'll see you next time see you next time <laughs>